Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh my David, Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Owen. And Ken Early Oli. Hi, Owen, how are you? We're talking plenty of Ireland Poland on this one. We also have our football podcast already out, overflowing with post-match analysis, including the not-to-be-missed Ken Early player ratings. Who got a six? Who got a seven? All will be revealed. <laughs> already already has been revealed. Yes, tune into the football show to find out. Last night was a much-needed big night for Irish football, especially with the way rugby has gone. In recent times, although Ken, you did write a piece on the weekend mm-hmm. uh, arguing that soccer is very much the preeminent sport in the country. Well, yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm not uh, disputing that. Well, not argu- I'm not arguing, merely stating. Stating, yeah. You got quite a quite a backlash of that. Well, uh, not from everybody. No, of course not. No, but well, the only people you're going to hear are usually not that many people ever praise things. <laughs> so you're going to hear from the people. Well, there were, there were there was what, 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 what did you argue and what was the argument? That came well, there out? were a few angry responses from um, what I take to be rugby fans. But what I couldn't work out was what was what were they upset about? I didn't say anything negative whatsoever about rugby in the entire article. Mm-hmm. Well, you said that uh, it's easy to be the best in the world at a sport where only eight or nine countries play. I think that was yeah. That was uh, what got people's ire. Well, I mean, what's the What's the big deal with that? Well, it's certainly, the, it's certainly easier to be uh, one of the top players in the yeah. world at a sport I, 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 I think, less players. I don't know if it's easy. Yeah. I think, well, uh, uh, easier, uh, that's what I said. Yeah. I think uh, the argument is that there's not eight or nine countries. There's at least 14 or 15, <laughs> which I think is the argument that they're, well, they weren't trying to make that. So uh, I, think, I believe someone said there are 102 countries currently playing rugby at the moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I suppose the smallest of those that has ro- registered rugby players, Monaco, is 165 rugby players in Monaco. Apparently, although it is a uh, somewhat wealthier uh, principality than than a lot of the surrounding territories, but this and is it's close that, yeah. to that French rugby belt, isn't it, Monaco? So I'm not surprised that there's as many as 165. This is something that we touched on on one of last week's show on the whole football rugby thing. It's it's an area I'm not, I don't even necessarily love going into, just on the basis that. Personally, I love both sports and love quite a few other sports, but there are quite a few people in Ireland and quite a few of you are listening, I'm sure, who are almost obsessed with one of those sports mm-hmm. and have harbour fairly negative uh, negative feelings towards towards the other. And that kind of those kind of feelings do come out when the likes of yourself can write a piece which seems to be in praise of one sport over the other. Well, all I was saying was was okay. There there is a um, it, it has been remarked to me by uh, at least one. Irish international football player that he thinks the rugby team get a bit of a uh, let's say the sun shines on them in a way it doesn't always shine on the Irish rugby team in terms of perception in terms of reporting coverage and so on and so forth uh, so I just kind of listed a couple of examples of what he might have been talking about um, but the point that seemed to annoy people who were annoyed by it was my suggestion that Robbie Keane who has never talked about as one of the best players in the world, is at least as good a sportsman as any of the best players in the rugby team. Johnny Sexton, Jamie Heaslip, Rob Carney, any of the any Irish rugby player who you'll 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 read every 
the time Ireland play, someone will say, you know, best in the world in his position or among the best in the world in his position. What I'm saying is that Robbie Keane is every bit as good as a sportsman as any of those guys. But he's not the best in the world. Because the world, in Robbie Keane's case, is a world where the best player in the world is Lionel Messi, who's like a, an extraterrestrial genius. You're, you're talking about such a vastly greater playing population that in order to attain the kind of status Robbie Keane has, which is to say the 12th highest goal scorer in the history of international football and by far the highest goal scorer in the history of this country, you have to be a really, really special athlete, even if, compared to the others, you don't necessarily look so special. Dion Fanning brought up, uh, I think it was Dion anyway, one of the pieces I read over the weekend brought up Seamus Coleman in the same context, that uh, maybe people in Ireland, of course Coleman is popular, but he's not necessarily spoken of as this, uh, as a potentially all-time great Irish sportsman, even though right now he's being, seems to be being coveted by some of the biggest clubs in, if not the best league in the world, <laughs> one of the biggest leagues in the world. Yeah, um, he, I mean, exactly. So, but, you know, he... What I'm saying is that I think as an athlete, if you can separate away the fact that they play a particular code, I mean, you're talking about some kind of a base or an abstract almost sporting talent, that these players, you know, who are routinely derided as being mediocre playing in the football team are actually just as good. It's just that the world is a lot bigger. You know, we were playing Poland last night. How many rugby players are there in the world? How many registered rugby players are there in the world? But we have dropped down. The Irish national team has dropped down into the 60s now. So regardless of depth... I mean, there aren't... Well, that's, that's to do with globalisation. Yeah, but 66, the whatever it is, best team in the world isn't as good as the rugby team being maybe the third or fourth best uh, at the moment. I yeah, but the, I mean, the, you know, they, they, who do they have to be ahead of? Scotland, Wales. Do you know how many rugby players are in Scotland? I don't. 38,000. Hmm. Barely anybody. But rugby is not even the number one sport in any of these countries. If rugby is going to become our number one sport, we'll be maybe the third country in the world after New Zealand and Samoa. Yeah. Even in Wales, football is a bigger sport. There are four and a half million rugby players in the world. In the world. There are six million registered football players in Germany. There are nearly as many registered football players in the United States as there are rugby players in the world. Now, what I'm saying is, when you've got a level of competition which is that much greater, but exponentially greater, levels of magnitude greater, in order to stand out as one of the best, you have to be... A, a, like a, a, but we're not talking about standing out as one of the best. In the case of Brian O'Driscoll, we're talking about standing out as maybe the best uh, centre at one stage in the world. Some would say maybe the best player at one stage in the world. So well, I, 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 I take the argument that if you're getting, if a rugby player is getting to a, a Robbie Keane level within the within the, a top league, then it's it's maybe incomparable. But we're actually no Irish player besides Roy Keane in recent years mm-hmm. has gotten to the sort of level within their sport that we're talking about. Guys like O'Driscoll, O'Connell. Uh, maybe O'Gara and Sexton getting it's, to. It's a it's a harder sport. Uh, it's a harder sport to excel at. I mean, O'Driscoll, a world class player. Um, you know, absolutely. I mean, who, who, I would never deny that. I'm not. I'm not denying that. But I think that you also have to take into account. You also have to respect uh, the the greater level of competition. I mean, that to me is just a, it's just a fact. Yeah, if you've only got four and a half million players in the world playing a particular sport, half them, nearly half them are in England, by the way. In most of the countries in the world, it's an afterthought. In Australia, one of the are they ranked ahead of us at the moment in the RB? They usually Belos, are. Yeah, usually, but not. It's, it's like the fourth, sport. fourth or fifth sport there. Uh, in, in South Africa, it's you know we we know the demographics of the sport in South Africa. I think it's the country with the second highest registered number of players. But even in South Africa, it's it's dwarfed by by football. You know, there's there's only one sport as far as most South Africans are concerned. So in order to that 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 seems to be a, a problem for a lot of people. I mean, I think that. Uh, you know, it, there are. It, it comes back for me to to something that Tom McGurk said. <laughs> now, Tom McGurk, was it after the two thousand and seven England game in Crow Park? Rugby union is the heartbeat of the race. Now, there was something about the imperialist overtone of that that I think probably I wasn't the only person that rubbed up the wrong way, and all I was doing was saying, well. Maybe from where Tom McGurk is standing, Murphy but not from in. not really from where most of us are. Yeah, standing. well, I, I just think it, it's it's a point that you ha- you absolutely have to take on board if you're a rugby fan is that there are far less people playing your sport than there are playing soccer. In the same way that if David Gillick qualifies for an Olympic final in the four hundred meters, 
you have to say that is an extraordinary achievement. Mm-hmm. And he gets run down in the same way that uh, that f- the football team gets run down. Mm-hmm. In that David Gill couldn't even make an Olympic final. You know, if if he if he's if he fails in the heats, doesn't get through to an Olympic final. To get to the Olympic final, he has to be in the top eight in the world. It's an extra, it's an extraordinary achievement for in an Irish extraordinarily ad- competitive sport. Yeah. Because everybody who's fast realizes it, and then if they're really fast, they might actually go into it. Yeah. You ha- it's 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 kind of something that everybody passes through that competition. Whereas rugby is not something that most people in this country even play in school. You know what I mean? It's 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 a it's a lot more exclusive to begin with. There's the number of people who were ever tested. Yeah, this, not as not as exclusive. I didn't as, even as, get as there. Are, there are things fairness. that I left uh, out. A lot, a lot of people there do play rugby. A lot of kids do play rugby. Yeah, but it's. I mean, not compared to if you if you go, if you look at the figures. I mean, it's 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 nothing. It's the eleventh most played sport in Ireland. You know, although they, they do count dancing as a sport in the in the sports council <laughs> figures, then it is considered to be ahead of ahead of rugby. But you know, I didn't even go at it. There there are more. Uh, let's say subjective. Uh, things. I mean, like the the aesthetics of the game. I didn't bother going into that because that's in the eye of the beholder, largely. But there is one thing that I'm, I did see a lot in the comments, and the, few, the comments I thought were quite interesting. But uh, you know, you got uh, hammered by people, did you? Uh, hammered by some people. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, there there are people that I think you can't necessarily handle the truth. But you know, <laughs> people have people have taken a few concussions. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, in the case of there's some people arguing that the technical level in rugby is higher. Now, please. I'm yeah, sorry. That, but that, that is you're talking about holding a ball with two hands compared to controlling a ball with your feet, right? Paul O'Connell started playing rugby seriously at the age of 16. I'll tell you this now. If you started playing soccer seriously at the age of 16, you're not going to make it in the right, professional well, listen, game. We're talking enough on soccer versus rugby, Murph. What about soccer versus rugby versus Gaelic football? Well, Gaelic it football was not a good night for Gaelic football on Saturday. It's not even in the argument anymore because it's dead on... And Dublin and Derry killed it. Uh, last Saturday night was uh, not a very good game of football at Crow Park. Uh, four all after uh, 59 minutes. Uh, and I don't think I've ever seen a reaction on Twitter to uh, a game uh, quite like it. Um, because a lot of people that were watching... In fact, I would say all of the people who were watching this game were not very amused by, uh, by what they saw. And read into it rather more... I think then maybe they could have but certainly we've had a couple of instances in the league and a couple of teams playing in a certain style during the course of this league on the back of their displays in the last couple of championships that would suggest that um, root and branch examination of the game's rules are uh, are required Well Oshie McConville and Anthony Moyles are here to talk a bit more about that lads how are you? I don't those things. Oh, good on. I'm gonna. Hopefully, you've recovered from the uh, <laughs> the Dublin Derry game. Charlotte Burns tweeted, "Oshin Derry versus Dublin tonight at Croke Park. The death of Gaelic football." Uh, it f- only it felt like it at the time. Uh, <laughs> it certainly felt like a death. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever about the death of the sport in general. I, I was so disappointed in Dublin. Owen. I was so disappointed in Dublin, and I suppose that's a contradiction to what we were saying. I suppose after. Dublin got turned over by Donegal last year, so uh, I have to put all this in perspective. But possibly that was the worst game of Gaelic football I've ever seen. Um, Dublin only scored a point, a fisted point in thirty-six minutes. When you consider the players they had in the field, I, th- I think it's it's plain to be seen now why Jim Gavin, or I think it's plain to be seen why Jim Gavin didn't go with that defensive system last year because they simply can't play it. They had twelve players back at one stage. Derry lumped the ball into the full forward. He catches it in five yards of space, kicks it over the bar. That's a bit beggar's belief. Dublin just can't play like that. And you know what he's done as well? Well, what he'd done the other night, he stifled all the positive things he had. All the players that were going forward, we talked about last year, going forward in waves, that would completely stop the other night. Two of the best half-forwards in the country ended up playing midfield. One of the thing, one of the problems that Dublin have, I think, is that Flynn and Connolly now seem to have some sort of responsibility going for kickouts, And that leaves them completely shapeless, I think, up front. Bernard Brogan is a brilliant player, but he's not a target man. Uh, he's very easily um, dispossessed in, in the situation where he's playing as that lone attacker. Ono Gara may have been he obviously out for the rest of the season, but he would have been a, a different proposition in there, and he would have been a target man for them. Jim Gavin's argument might, might be though, Shane, that this isn't how it will look in an All Ireland semi final this year. That this is a step along the way, and by necessity, it has to get refined as they go. 
Yeah, and it better get refined because if that's if if that's the way they're going to play, they won't be in an All Ireland semi final. Uh, I think that Dublin have gone backwards uh, severely in the last in the last couple of months. Uh, you look at them last year and they look like a force. You probably take the Donegal game out of it. You say, well, you know, it was a slip up. Uh, they were caught on the hop. Uh, things like that. At this, I would say not only at this time last year, but three months into the into the championship season, two months into the championship season, they looked unbeatable. Now they they look as if they're very very beatable. Anthony, the death of Gaelic football. Yeah, the death of Gaelic football. Um, certainly, it was it was <coughs> shocking stuff. Um, there was no real surprises with Derry. Yeah, like I mean, I've watched a couple of games with Derry. Derry played as <coughs> Derry play. You know, okay, they may have pulled one or two extra lads back, but Derry were always going to set up that way. It was interesting to see MacGyver talking about the fact that they got a, a trance in the last time they played Dublin in the league final, and he said we weren't going to come back up and experience that again. That's that's all well and good. He also mentioned that the fact that he doesn't want to play football like this, you know. And I thought that was interesting. He's saying like until the authorities change stuff, I actually don't want to play stuff like this. But you know, that's all fine saying that. Um, but they still lost the game. Ultimately, they lost the game. When you lose the game by fifteen points, or you lose the game by two or three points, you still lose the game. That is it. Um, and yes. there, was, there wasn't a whole lot of honour in the way that they lost it on no. Saturday night. I mean. There's no one getting overblown about it, but I mean, there was huge. Well, there are people saying it's the death of Gaelic football. Exactly. So, so, so we're, we're, probably, we're, we're probably all right to, to yeah. talk talk about it, but like the way you insulate yourself from criticism, and you'd have to presume that's why the managers are are playing this way. Both, I mean, both of them came out and said, "Well, listen, I'm not really going to apologise for how we set up. That's just the way the game is." Mm. And as you say, like mentioning, as, once the rules change, we'll change. But in the meantime, you know, this is this, this is just the way it is. Um, you know, that's why they're doing it. They're doing it to insulate themselves from criticism. But I mean, if you're Jim Gavin, you're getting you know savaged over the last forty eight hours for how how your team played, but and they sh- won. Yeah, are you sure they're trying to just? Uh, I'm not sure if Jim Gavin's trying to insulate himself from criticism. I'd say he's trying to strike upon a formula that will win him in All Ireland this year. I don't know if it's just a a, a back uh, a sort of. Um, uh, well, I, I think maybe with Gavin, but I mean, everyone else is in the results business here, and Gavin is as well. I mean, and it's it's. If they reckon terrible football is going to win them in Ireland, they're going to play that terrible football. I mean, I mean, that's whether that's insulating yourself from criticism or whether that's trying to win by any means necessary. That's what it is. I mean, these guys aren't. They're not in it for the in the. They're not in the entertainment business, as the old cliche goes. But I mean, like, I I I just was struck by that as well. Both interviews yesterday, MacGyver coming out and saying, "Well, it's not how I want to play football." Mm. I mean, you're the manager. Play football how you how want you to play want football. To play and if you do, if if that doesn't if that doesn't win you games and that means you lose your job as dairy manager then so be it but i mean you yeah. know you got you have to have some sort of you have to die like i mean the old saying of dying on your shield you know there is that thing of if you have a mantra like i mean Oshin's in in management you know if you if you have a particular style of play that you want to actually impose on your team you refine it, yes, certainly. You know, as Fitzmaurice has done over the last while. Like he refined, he knew with Donegal last year, he had to change it up. Now, but you don't just say then after home, well, look, uh, my my hand is being forced here, and mm. that's just the way I have to do it. Well, then you know, really, then you're being a pawn to what's going on, or even the opposition. Like Gavin, I certainly think said to himself, "Here's a game." where I could try this system because I know Derry are going yeah. to do it. So let's see how we adapt to this. I wouldn't say he was probably too worried whether they lost or won, actually. You know, but, you know, you, you roll back against the Mayo game, very open game, and it was like scores going in everywhere, you know. So he knew against Mayo, Mayo aren't going to set up defensively, so I'll, I'll play my usual, and let's just try it against Derry, and let's see can because I think in the interview as well, he said, look, we asked him to play specifically, and he said I was happy enough with it. I think he'll abandon that. I think he just wanted to kind of maybe see if they could do it, and as Ushin says, they, they can't do it. Um, they're just not used to it. I think their their, their flair is, is being stifled. Um, but I really do not know... It, this this type of football, it's bad enough when one team is playing it, but when two teams are playing it, that's it. You, mm. you may as well just walk out because it is the worst thing 
I genuinely, it is like some soccer games, and those soccer people will give out to me, but some soccer games, you know, when you have a kind of two defensive game, teams set up pretty defensively, there's no real attacking flair. That is the worst 90 minutes. But Gaelic is now mm. getting very, very close. And you see it in rugby as well, too, when two teams decide, okay, I'm, we're just going to kick the ball. I mean, it, it happened a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, two teams have just said, right, we're going to keep kicking it and whichever the first team that decides right actually this is just too boring he's going to try and run it he gets turned over I mean that's it I mean yeah, it's a staring match it turns yeah. into a staring match and that's yeah. the that's when it's really really not entertaining at all the, the thing about it is the, the strange thing about it is I watched the, uh, most of the first half of the Donegal game yesterday they've actually turned into the entertainers because <laughs> they know how to play it because Tyrone tried to play it yesterday but they didn't, weren't getting players forward. They weren't getting players forward in support of the smallest forward line in inter-county history. <laughs> uh, and there was no physicality in the forward line, so they couldn't kick the ball in, so they couldn't be direct. Okay, So Mickey Hart, I think Mickey Hart dropped Sean Cavanagh yesterday to try something different. You know, to try and see small nippy corner forwards, against, uh, small nippy forwards against uh, uh, this Donegal team. Let's get them on the back foot. Didn't put them on the back foot because they couldn't win the ball in the middle of the field. Uh, Michael Murphy was... Play, played predominantly as a forward yesterday, which was brilliant to see, and he was absolutely immense. But uh, the, po- the point I'm trying to make is that Jim Gavin turned around and he changed things in one week. So he changed things to play against Derry, which is fine. If that was just an experiment, that's fine. But uh, they can't play like that. Uh, and unless they revert back to the way they were playing... And tweak it a little bit. But Donegal, yeah, Donegal's interesting comparison because the the game that everyone holds up as <coughs> this the, the low point maybe of the of, of this era of Gaelic football was that Donegal. I know Murphy here is the one person who really enjoyed that uh, tactical battle the All Ireland semi final from a few years back. But in fairness to Jim McGuinness, that's as far as he had gotten his team at that point. Yeah. And a year later, he took it on a stage further. And just to take you back to the argument I made earlier on that Jim Gavin could say. Okay, we weren't very good at it, but that doesn't mean we can't do it. It just means that's the first time we've tried it, yeah. and it's something we might be able to improve upon. And, and maybe it's as simple as I just want to get my players into the frame of mind that has them thinking that they may have to curb their instincts a little bit at some stage of the year. Absolutely, and I think one of the things he wanted to do was to. I think he done sort of deliberately because I think he thought, well, you think we're going to come out and go gung ho, we're going to be the entertainers. We're not. If we have to play like this to win a game, then that's the way we play. Mm. Do, my arg- my only argument against that is that if they come up against a Donegal again, Donegal will outplay them in that system. Right. Okay. A- yeah, yeah. And and uh, is there any other teams that can outplay them in that system? Possibly Kerry. So it's not just that it's ugly, it's that it's ineffective. Both of you guys well, think it's going to be yeah, ineffective they, against the better teams. Yeah. I think it is for Dublin. Donegal have honed that particular style of play <clears> for probably seven, eight years now. You know, like, I mean, it wasn't just when McGuinness started to win. There was a lot of time before that. Um, and and can Gavin, you know, it's still an amateur sport. He doesn't have the players every day of the week. You know, it's not like you can really get in. He's trying to do different things, and you're you're trying to work on it. And it is it, it, maybe it's a plan B, which he's trying because everyone said there's no plan B with Dublin. So he, this is obviously his plan B now. Um, and look, fair play to him. You know, it's a brave move. I think that was the right game to try it because he knew Derry would be exactly that, which they were. You know, um, but could he try it? And you know, it would have been interesting to see would he try it against Mayo, for example, or you well, know, try it against when, when one of the more it, offensive teams. Not everybody has seen the game. When we say it, what exactly did Dublin do? Because people say defensive system, but that can incorporate different different strands. What well, did you see? They, they don't something that they never done before. They had twelve players behind the ball when the opposition was attacking. They they turned their back on the play and got back into a defensive formation, uh, and they've never done that before because they've always pressed teams. And the other game mm. that was on at the same time was. Down against Meath mm. and down play that defensive system as well. What Meath do better than anybody else? Because they have a lot of frailties as a team, I think. But what they do better than anybody else? They always put pressure on the kickouts. Again, down are probably the second smallest inter-county team there is. So whenever you forced the keeper to kick the ball out to the middle of the field, Meath were able to win the ball. Similarly to to Dublin, uh, Dublin were struggling to win the kickouts, so they were bringing the half forward line in. So that was leaving one player inside and two players who had to come out and fill that half forward line so now all of a sudden you've got three players in your forward line you've got 12 players in defence 
if which they did on quite a, a lot of occasions in the first half the other night, uh, lose possession, all they, went, they all uh, funnel back. But the thing about funneling back is, it's fine funneling back, but you actually have to tackle. You actually have to mark somebody, and you actually have to put them under pressure. As I say, like they had twelve players back in defence, and still the Derry full forward was able to find himself in five yards of space and. 13 uh, metres out from, from the goal and that's when uh, you know you watch Cluxon's reaction to that he just went absolutely ballistic mm. the fact that there's, he's, he's doing that there counting the many players he has back and the fact that nobody's bothering marking you know the one Derry player who's inside that half yeah I mean and this is the point like you see we've seen club player uh, club teams for the last three or four years try and do this and it's blatantly obvious in that service in, in that at that lower level that there are players funneling back and they're not making any tackles. Exactly. They're just they're just there as uh, taking up space and yeah. they, like all they're marking is the actual space that their body is taking up inside the forty five. They're, they're they're no use to anyone at all. And that like that would be my concern with Dublin is that uh, you try and do something like that and you're asking brilliant players to do something that's just completely out of their yeah, out of their skill set. Yeah, and absolutely into them. Yeah, and the, <clears throat> if we can make this point as well. Tyrone, yeah, Tyrone have tried both ways now, okay, and neither is working for them. So they ha- they have so many problems; it's scary. <laughs> Mickey Hart said that it was the worst display under him at any age group. I think didn't he? Yeah, minor, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. funny, he's he, you know there's good competition f- f- for that because over the last two years they've been terrible, and and they they come out against Mayo and they play that really defensive system, and I thought maybe this is something that could work for them, but they come up against the Masters yesterday. And they played defensive against Donegal, but Donegal were the team who were getting players forward all the time. Lacey was getting forward the same way as he used to get forward. Neil McGee come up, kick the point. Ian McGee, but they were taking it in turns almost. You know, when Tyrone went forward, there was no bases around what they were trying to do. Plus the fact, you, they were what Tyrone were doing were getting it into the likes of McCurry and McCallisky, who, in fairness, were winning the ball out in front. But then there was nothing for them to do. I mean, what their option was to turn, take the man on. If they took him on, there's two more men inside. But they had no runners. They had no support runners from from the uh, from the half back line because you know why? Because they were afraid. Because a lot of times when Donegal, the, the other option Donegal had yesterday, a lot of times when they turned the ball over, they just hoofed it into Murphy, who won it on the edge of the square, was foul, free kick, kick over the bar. You know, yeah. so. Things a lot of things have changed in Gaelic football. Some things have just stayed the same because I actually think Donegal at the minute, you know, shape up as well as as anybody as far as uh, the way they play. Anthony, you wanted to come back on Murph's point, just that uh, you're asking players, really good players, to do uh, sort of menial enough task that maybe they're not best suited to when you're asking 13 guys to get back and defend or 15. Yeah, guys. well, the one thing you'd say about Donegal and the one thing I've I've always loved about them is is that selflessness that they have as as players you know even Murphy you know he could say oh, I'm not going to go back and I'm not going to tackle and I'm not going to chase lads down because if you watch the way they set up the amount of running off the ball they do to go from one side to back to the other side back to the other and it's just covering space and it's, but it's covering men and it's covering angles whereas another team who aren't used to doing that kind of selfless work and dog work just funnels back and says, okay, I'm now back in the 30 metre line and I'm okay. And really what I'm looking to do here is I'm looking to break back (laughs) up the field as soon as we win the ball. So as soon as you get it, I'll I'll be gone. That's the kind of situation. So he's actually, he's a lazy defender and he's actually a very easy defender to beat if you're coming at any pace and any angle because he'll either drag you down or, you know, you get a lot of that, and I just think that that <coughs> takes a massive amount of training because it's a mindset. That, I was going to say, is that not just an attitude? Uh, it's a mindset change, a but it's also problem. well, it's it's an ability change in in the sense of it's an awareness of well, actually, where where are the men coming from? Where's my defender? Because what Donegal do better than anyone as well is they'll give certain responsibility to certain defenders, and they say, right, your man is him, and you're man marking him. You know, and and he will then, and and if McHugh is there, McHugh doubles up then on that man. So you, I'm marking O'Sheen, but as soon as O'Sheen gets the ball, you're straight over to me. So you're the extra man that comes back. So you're not really marking space there. You're actually saying you need to help Anthony out as quick as you can. Yeah, and they do that. But that's again, it's a long process of of doing that. You know, you can't. It's not that just sa- happened overnight. Yeah, it's not safety in numbers. It's an it's an actual system. You know, yeah. and I think that there are a lot of teams out there who. Get men back and say, right, we uh, the players get back to the forty-five yard forty-five yard line. They look around, look over both shoulders, say, all right, there's loads of people here. You know, we should be fine. Yeah. Whereas with Donegal, it's 
the McGee's have the two inside forwards mm. and then there are three other players designated to be on that guy when that guy gets the ball yeah. it's a, it's an actual system as opposed to just flooding space which yeah. is yeah, you know, there's, and there's a real difference there and a forward takes a second like you know you grab a ball you turn you kick it over the bar that's all a forward needs you know that really a good class intercounty forward that is really all he should need to be able to drop his shoulder yeah. and then turn and bang so if you're not there within that second if you're like oh the ball's gone and then you react it's too late but the thing is as Ushin says you know, Gaelic, everyone is kind of... I've seen, I saw, saw lads last night saying, oh, you know, Derry were right to do this. They were right to come up. They weren't going to get a trouncing. And, you know, there's there's something great about looking at the, the defensive nuances. And I... Up till maybe last year, I thought, you know what, it is... It, it, that tactical kind of situation between Dublin and Donegal that time, I was kind you of... You enjoyed going, that you know, as well? Well, yeah, because I, from a defender's point of view, I was going... You know the the communication even between Donegal, the ability, how they broke up the field, all those different things, and then just trying to see how can Dublin break it down. But as I say, it's really gone to a new level now, and it's just it's a game that if I was a, if I was a kid at twelve or thirteen years of age or fourteen or fifteen, and I had a manager who was employing that tactic and I was playing that week in week out. I think I'll be looking at a different sport. Oh, no, but rugby has its its concussion issue at the moment. Gaelic football's too defensive. Kids <laughs> won't play any sport. Uh, I tell you what, Derry have got off very lately this morning. I have yeah. to say, in yeah, and you were grimacing there when Anthony said some people say Derry are right to come up and and just avoid a trouncing. You don't think so? Well, I think the other night was more more than just the two defensive systems. Two defensive systems are something that we're used to now, and we're used to having a look at it and see who can play it and see who can't. But it's just a standard of kick passing, standard of kicking the ball over the bar, fist passing. I mean, to score one point from a fist in 36 minutes of football is scary for one of the most talented teams in the country. And if that's where we're going... I'm changing sport. If Anthony's going, I, if Anthony's going, I'm going it's too. Late for us, <laughs> the most successful club team in history. I, I'm turning down all these medals. I don't want them. Last word. We've been talking Ireland, Poland. Are we going to qualify for the Euros at this point? Quickly. Hundred percent. Oh wow! I like the confidence. Hundred percent. No. <laughs> Sounds I didn't good. say yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> my answer. I'm one hundred percent sure. Yeah. We we'll leave it on that ambivalent note from Anthony. Lads, great stuff. Thanks a million. Hairdryer is, is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a furious blast of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. I thought that he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Yeah, just to go back to that idea that you and uh, particularly Anthony were talking about, about players' bodies being back there, but not necessarily the mind might be back there. I remember going to see Galway against Tip, wasn't it, last year yeah. with you? Uh, Galway were miles ahead, conceded a couple of late goals, if I remember the game correctly. Yeah. Uh, despite having, it seemed to me, 13 men behind the ball towards mm. the end of the game. Now, Galway, n- not one of the more defensive teams, but they thought, okay, we better just funnel players back here. And yet, these Tipperary lads are just waltzing through the, six uh, and seven Galway defenders. The last Tipperary goal, I recall, um, a tip player advanced for about like 23 or 24 yards out, and then one hand pass took out like eight Galway players. <laughs> <laughs> it was just unbelievable. I just think, I, I'm disappointed with the tone of this conversation. Go on. Because all of the players you're talking about are world class. <laughs> Every one of those players is a world class <laughs> exponent of their sport. They are among the best in it's the world. It's true yeah. that there aren't huge playing populations, but there are significant playing populations in the United Kingdom, United States, Australia, mm. you know, Sweden, uh, Spain. There is lads playing Gaelic games in all of those countries. And the guys that you're denigrating here in this show today are the best are the best in the world. So please let's have a little bit more respect yeah. for, for world class when we see it. The second captain's football podcast is already out, Ken, what's in there? That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But I don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down Twelfth Field, and we'll see them. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. 
Well, we're going to talk a lot of international football on Ireland against Poland. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk to Brian Kerr, we'll talk to Dean Fang, uh, we'll give the player ratings, controversial player oh. ratings, and you, I think, reveal your secret love for Ireland's most underrated player. Johnny Walters. Oh, you ah, couldn't get... Oh, you, that's not how you... Do you know what? nothing on forward Ah, sell. that bit will get edited out, I'm sure. Be, I'm sure <laughs> Somebody will take care of that. Let's keep talking Ireland Poland right now. In fact, Maliki Clerken, how are you? Hi, on. You uh, enjoyed the, the game last night, I assume. In terms of Ireland football internationals, was that the best one you've attended, atmosphere-wise? Oh, uh, well, I don't know about that now. It was, it was definitely the best one, or atmosphere-wise, the best one in, in a right while. Um, I think it definitely... In the Aviva, since it became the Aviva. Yeah, I like, I always... I, I can never stand these, uh, oh, this stadium has no atmosphere conversations because stadiums by themselves don't create atmosphere. Occasions and people create atmosphere. Uh, and all you need is the right combination of those things and there is an atmosphere. As po- we, as Polish people in particular. Time. Polish people <laughs> yeah. in particular. should invite uh, the Poles along to all games. Indeed, yeah. Think. But I, I thought it was a cracking atmosphere last night. In the 15 minutes before the game, um, you could feel the hum, you could feel the anticipation. Um, it was and it was good. I like it was if if you uh, if you kind of sat back, it was a reasonably enjoyable game. I, th- I thought the first half was ridiculously tight. You know, just players were all kind of congested into the into a kind of a circle in the middle of the pitch. But um, once it opened up, it was, it was enjoyable. Now. Did you get the sense that the Irish fans, m- maybe because of the nature of the Polish sport the Irish fans lost their inhibitions somewhat it seems to me sometimes you see you see Irish fans away from home and there's a certain uh, carefree attitude you know everyone's out having mm. a good time going to a match really losing the, the run of themselves at home and particularly this game being on a Sunday night maybe that wouldn't have, have been the case but the fact that the, the Polish supporters brought so much to the party the Irish fans responded a little bit of that but I mean that's, that's the case in international football worldwide like the away fans are always louder by dint of the fact that most of them have the next day off and <laughs> they're going on the batter afterwards. Uh, whereas, as you say, it was a Sunday night, everybody's going to work the next day. Although, yeah, Irish, although in, in some, that, that is a fair point, but in some stadia, you watch on TV and you think, geez, they, they're creating an amazing atmosphere, no matter who they're playing. And I don't think, I think the disparity between the Irish home support and the Irish away support is possibly greater than in other countries. Do you agree? Um, no, yeah, you, you I, don't I, have wouldn't, to. I wouldn't say so. I mean, I think... Um, Usually the way support is, is louder, is more... Flag- I mean, there are there are exceptions. I mean, for instance, we mentioned Montenegro earlier. I mean, the Montenegro home crowd is is pretty passionate. Yeah. Um, they just got a match abandoned uh, by throwing a flare at the Russian goalkeeper's head and burning him. And um, That's where we should, what we should be aiming for, is it? Well, look, I remember... I, I, I've been to Montenegro and saw Ireland play there. It was a nil-all draw, and uh, it was an amazing atmosphere. It was incredible. You know, the... Uh, supporters put everything into it. Unfortunately, they've just been going a little over the top in recent times. Well, I saw one of the Montenegro players saying, you know, the fans, they say, we love you, Montenegro, uh, but then at every game, they throw flares, they insult our opponents, and now they've got this match called off. I mean, you get a match called off, it's usually not going to end well for the team. So maybe there's a happy medium, which Ireland, for the first time, got close to last night. It was quite a football-type atmosphere, though, wasn't it? In the sense that the, the, the flares, the songs, the, there have been good occasions mm. there, a couple of big rugby games, but it's but, but just by uh, tradition and by everything else, it's a different kind of atmosphere, I think, when you get a good yeah. football. Yeah, because I think um, I think after the after the Lansdowne Road redevelopment, there was there was this theory out there, you know, that oh, there's just no atmosphere in this place. you know. And then the All Blacks came to town, we nearly beat them. And the place nearly took off. You know, it was absolutely outrageously good atmosphere. And since then, there have been a couple of huge occasions in the Aviva with a really, really brilliant atmosphere. And I think that maybe it took, even last night, and as you said, a uniquely football uh, tinge to the atmosphere, whether that's flares, that's songs. I mean, you just don't see it in rugby. You don't see it in uh, Gaelic games. And it was... It, it actually felt like a like a like a real football game as opposed to one of those times where you're kind of sitting there. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm, am I forgetting all these uh, times in the old lands down where workaday qualifiers versus 
I don't know, Albania or whoever had amazing atmospheres. I, oh, I, no, no, not necessarily. Yeah, no. I, I, I don't know. I, no, no, I mean, I agree with you completely, but it's the old the old trope was, oh, well, you know, the old place was rocking, you know. Yeah, and this... it, it wasn't particularly here. I mean, it was rocking when there was a big yeah. game. Three when... o'clock kickoffs on a Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. It's not exactly uh, prime time. Yeah, and let's remember, when there was those three o'clock kickoffs on a Wednesday afternoon we had a really good team yeah. who beat teams and that helped the atmosphere yeah. but uh, we're not so great there now. was a sense I guess when the Aviva Stadium was built or Lansdowne Road was rebuilt that I mean, there is a lot there, there's a lot more of a corporate element to it and a, a premium seat element to yeah. it so that I think, effectively the entire increase in capacity was in yeah and seats. the old Lansdowne Road maybe those that the crowd might have been the same in the old Lansdowne Road. It just didn't look. It didn't look as obviously. There wasn't the same sense of demarcation within the ground. Well, you didn't uh, notice that for the first ten minutes after the second half, the seats in one circle of the whole stadium were mostly empty. Yeah, uh, as was the case. Bri- last night. Yeah, Brian Kerr did mention that in his piece. He did. It, it seemed like some of the yeah, some of the more corporate types that managed to find their way out for the. It was getting good. The temperature did drop a little bit from time to time. But I guess the thing is that it hasn't been seen as a desirable. Sporting event to attend, really, an Irish that's home international. I think that's the bigger point: yeah. is that the teams have been crap for since the 2002 World Cup, on and off. You know, they they haven't beaten anybody at home. I think I think I read a, a stat last night that the highest ranked team they've beaten since Holland in 2001 uh, is Slovakia. Slovakia, yeah. You know, like so, it's it's not exactly. The, the sexiest ticket in town. But we have this fixture, followed by an England friendly, followed by a Scotland game, which is a, a must win. Is there a sense, again, that maybe the uh, football international, can, after those three matches, people might be in the habit of it and it might be seen as a desirable event to attend again? I don't think the England friendly matters at all. Nobody cares about friendlies in, in football. Well, it, does, it, it doesn't matter in a sporting context, but it should once be. Once it doesn't feed into a bigger competition, nobody cares about the match. You don't think so. anyone will care about beating England at home? No, no, nobody cares about the England friendly. I mean, in other sports, you have the luxury of being able to arrange one-off matches and calling them competitive matches. But you don't have that luxury in football. Everybody can tell the difference between a competitive match and, a, and just one no, but I'm not, yeah, matter. I'm not talking about our chances of qualifying for the year 1000. I'm talking about as, a, as an event, as an event within... Three, it's sandwiched in between two big qualifiers. You don't think it's? No, I don't think so. I th- I think um, the friendly against England in Wembley last year kind of put the lie to that. I mean, when we were watching it, it was like, oh god, this is actually just a friendly. Yeah. I mean, I thought I, I, I was at that. I was saying, I mean, yeah. it was it was a it was just like any other friendly. It didn't matter. Um, the only lasting consequence it had, I think, was was that Daniel Sturridge got injured. That was the, he was the only person who came out of that match. And was think, still thinking about it the next day. Or Shane Long, <laughs> buttress his confidence, which uh, we saw. Not that it did him any. Not that it did him any good when it came to starting oh, th- competitive oh, I games. Th- I think I saw him equalise last night. Yeah, surely, yeah. Surely as he, he came on as a substitute <laughs> after six minutes, with the, the Robbie Keane still starting games at the age of thirty-five. I mean, three years after Damien Duff retired, Robbie Keane's still there. Is there a cold hard realism here, Maliki, today that? A draw isn't actually a very good result. We're looking at here t- the teams in third at the moment. This is assuming that we're now settling for third. I say settling. We're, we're striving <laughs> for third. That would be a great result. We've got Holland there, Belgium, Ukraine, Switzerland, Hungary, Russia and Norway. At best, it looks like we're going to have quite a tough game to qualify and at worst, we won't even have that Well, game. the only thing I'd say about that is that you would expect a good few of those teams to get their arses in gear by, by the time uh, the end of the group comes around. I mean, we could do with a bit of that in our group as in, we could do a Germany manning up now and going away and winning the group and beating everybody else uh, and, and maybe giving us a draw with the second last game. Like the reason the group table looks uh, doesn't look great this morning is that Germany haven't done what they were supposed to do. They, you know, beat by Poland, which means Poland are top of the group. They, you know, Germany should be way out, and and the, the other three teams should be scrabbling for the for the the two places that are left there. I don't know. I I I mean, I wouldn't say that third place is will be a terrible result. Like, oh, I, no. I, I I still think that teams will find their levels. Like Holland won't finish third in that group. Belgium won't finish third in that group. You know, it'll it'll be the um, the sort of the, the likes of us that will be in around that uh, sort of situation. Yeah, the likes of us, but that does also imply that we have to start beating teams, not even better teams than those teams, I think, that are around the same level. I mean, it's, it's a long time since we've, even in the trap 
times when the results were going well, we were qualifying based on drawing away from home against Russia, those kind of results. Against the good teams. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why, why is it, you see Northern Ireland can able to take care of teams of similar ability quite regularly now. Uh, and yeah, we, or is their group just incredibly? Well, who more than Ireland beaten? I mean, um, well, no. I, I I wouldn't necessarily be backing us to whip Finland if they came to town <laughs> on. Uh, um, next no, Northern Ireland are in a group with Romania, Hungary, Finland, Faroe Islands, and Greece. Uh, the they beat Greece away from home. Result against Greece was well, Greece are bottom of the group. You know, Greece have have uh, yeah. fallen apart, uh, and that's been Northern Ireland's good look, good fortune. You know, mm. um, I mean, I suppose Germany. Lost the game. They're the kind of strong team in our group, but unfortunately, they didn't lose it to us. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I think if we were in Northern Ireland's group, we'd have a better chance than we do in the one we're in. Maliki, yourself and Dion Fanning seem to agree on something I noted in your match report today. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with it that Shea Given is partly at fault for the goal. I kind of thought that, yeah, that, that, that getting beat across your, uh, like, your man shot from such a tight angle, like he was in the edge of the corner of the six-yard box. Yeah, it was, it was a strange-looking strike because it you was don't not, normally see a player coming in at an angle like that. Yeah. That, that only ever happens really after a defensive mistake. Exactly, that we saw. yeah. But I kind of thought that, uh, that Shea, maybe he was maybe he was too uh, keen on uncovering his, his near post, but... Uh, I don't know. I, I I didn't think he should have been beaten from there. I thought, or at least he, he should have got a finger on it. I thought. You can. I think it was a good shot, and they usually go into the net. You did uh, touch on something there, though. There is an obsession that goalkeepers have with not getting beaten on their near posts. I've yeah. never quite understood it. Sometimes you see a shot slammed into the near post, and people ask, "Hmm, could the keeper have done better?" Well, at least they had their near post covered, and it's well. Not. It always struck me as it's kind of the first thing you're taught in goalkeeper one hundred and one. Yeah, in goalkeeper college, always cover the near post because you know, then you can't get given out if we're not covering your near. Yeah, post. I mean it's a bit like the penalties thing. You know, they should stand where they are. They should wait for the penalty. But yeah. if they do that and it just rolls into the corner, then they look stupid. So they'd rather, <laughs> rather do something than stand there looking stupid. Malachi, a yes no answer. Are we going to qualify at this point? Yes. <laughs> That's the spirit. A <laughs> sort of gung ho attitude. <laughs> we have you down here for yes. <laughs> That's a very dubious yes. I I I do think. I think they'll beat Scotland uh, in June. I think we'll beat beat Scotland uh, at home, and then surely they'll they'll get a result. I mean, it's going to come down to Poland in Poland yeah. the last game. I, like I wasn't overly impressed with Poland last night. No, and that's know. what the annoying um, part of it was during the second half. Even though yeah. we were playing well, I was you you we were, there was this nagging feeling we're about to lose to a team who we don't think are that great, yeah. which is probably the worst feeling in sport. Yeah, and it was a, a little like. Um, Sweden uh, last year when when um, the, what was that? There was the playoff uh, against Sweden. Sweden were no great shakes at all, but they had one amazing player. Uh, like Poland, uh, they're, they're not great uh, and really kind of gave up the ghost once Ireland came at them in the second half. Ireland looked pretty disorganised. Like I lost kind of the amount of times that Robbie Brady and Wes Hoolan went for the same ball out in the out on the, the left wing uh, which which seemed there was just, almost too much space for them there a little to, bit yeah, yeah and, and, and Poland kind of uh, tightened in and, and covered the centre an awful lot but I really you know if they have to go to Poland and get a draw in the last game I think they can do that ok we'll go with your hesitant yes Maddie thanks a million cheers I knew the place Clough as he calls me Ravi didn't know them he said to me, what can you do that the boss hasn't done? You, the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. But there's no way to win it better. Why not? Only, no, 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 no. But that's the only hope I've we're, got. We're doing, we're doing lots for much. And then, but that, well, and I can that, only look straight. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Fluff, as he calls me, Ravi. Good luck. Now that might that might be you know aiming for utopia, and it might be, might mean being a little bit stupid, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Just go back to the atmosphere at the ground last night, which is absolutely incredible. We're talking a lot more. Uh, or certainly in a bit more detail about it in our football podcast. But during that show, Brian Kerr, in in the context of the reducer by James McLean on uh, 
his Polish opponent, whose name escapes me now again. Uh, Arkadiusz Milik. Uh, Milik, of course, yeah. Uh, in that context, Brian Kerr, the comparison is always, and was again last night to Roy Keane on Mark Overmars. Brian Kerr brought it a long way further back to the 60s. Uh, goalkeeper by the name of Jose Angel Irabar for Spain mm. in a qualifier in 1965 at Dalyman Park was apparently let's just say roughed up a little bit by big Charlie Hurley and a couple of other Irish guys I went looking for this just briefly in between podcasts here couldn't find the incident but did find what I believe to be the aftermath of the incident which is Irabar the goalkeeper slightly shook dropping one into the into the back of the back of the net yeah he, he sort of goes up for a high uh, a lofted ball um seems to maybe get caught a little underneath it and uh, very weakly flaps the ball backwards into his own net. Uh, it just bounces in there. The Irish players turn and celebrate. But he <laughs> hurls himself to the ground in this agony of despair. Uh, a, a real operatic moment. He grabs his head and then almost twirls as he throws himself to the ground, uh, just showing how much it meant to him. Either that or, um, either that or he'd had a sizable bet on the outcome of that match, but he needed to make it look good afterwards by uh, by making it look as though this was the most upsetting thing that. Which ever of course that wasn't the case, Ken. You're you're hypothesising here. We're not bringing the name of the good name of Jose Angel Irabar into dispute. He's been hammered enough over the years mm. on Irish media. He doesn't deserve it. It was just a, just an honest mistake there by Irabar. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Tion. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Ken, and thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening. You can check out secondcaptains.com for any any news and any other info on any of the shows. And you can also have a listen right now to our football podcast, which is already on. Sure. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 